All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is David Patrick Carey with Church of the Eternal Logos. And tonight we have another sponsored stream. Shout out to the Meta Ninjas for sponsoring this tonight's stream on the lost city of Atlantis. Is it myth or reality? So I have to say, I was certainly not an expert on tonight's topic, and I'm still not an expert, but what my hope is to sort of lead you guys into uh, what is the contemporary discussion on the lost, really, civilization of Atlantis. It's sort of a misnomer to call it a lost city, because really how we understand or un come to uh, you know, know of Atlantis as a sort of concentric ring city with uh, water. That's really the capital city, uh, and Atlantis, in a way, was sort of like 10 different kingdoms put together. But, but tonight we're going to be diving into uh, a quite popular topic on the internet right now. You've probably seen the YouTube channel Bright Insight and some of the work he's discussed. We'll be referring to a lot of that research. Of course, we'll be diving into uh, very popular names like Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson. And uh, there's a lot to, uh, to discuss. We'll be talking about Helena Blavatsky, the Nazis, uh, Roger Bacon, the concept of utopia. All these different things are going to emerge in our research tonight and our discussion. And I think it's going to be quite interesting. Um, I really don't know how long tonight's stream's going to go. Uh, I just have a ton of different things for you for us to dive into, really just to uh, the goal is watching tonight's stream. I if if I do a good job, I'll present you guys basically everything you need to know to know kind of the state of affairs. And I'm not gonna tell you what to think or where Atlantis is or uh, if it is real or a myth, but I will tell you my leanings, what probably seems to be most likely to me. And I do think, because we are Christians here, we're going to have a different uh, angle on Atlantis compared to many other people. Obviously, many people who talk about Atlantis are sort of rooted in the New Age. And in a way, we could point to Graham Hancock as one of those gentlemen. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to totally discredit everything he's done. Some of you guys may be familiar with Golebli Teki, uh, the 12,000-year-old uh, the civilization in um, Turkey, and, uh, and, and such like that, and some of the fingerprints of the gods, you know, all that different stuff. And, uh, you know, Gobleki Tepi. Um, is just indication that, you know, are there civilizations that were 12,000 years old? And because, again, we're Christians, uh, how do we understand this? Some of us may be young earth creationists. Some of us may be old earth creationists. As you guys know, I do not believe in macroevolution. I think um, it's pretty much a, a uh, an inundated theory. There is no connection between uh, species in regards to macroevolution, so theistic evolution, but because of the topic of Atlantis itself, it's going to raise questions and about how old is the earth, how old is civilization, um, and so again, these are questions that I really don't ever get into, uh, the shape of the earth or the age of the earth, but in a way, these are sort of topics we can't get away from in our discussion of Atlantis tonight. So, um, you know, there's many uh, theories where Atlantis is. Uh, some, like Randall Carlson, would believe in the Azores Islands or the Azores Plateau that is now sunken. Um, 
you know, near the uh, Mid-Atlantic Ridge. Uh, others, as we'll see, uh, for example, the YouTube channel Bright Insight, Jimmy Corsetti believes in uh, the Rishat structure. How many of you are aware of the Rishat structure? If you've never heard of it, certainly it's going to be quite interesting when we dive into that and you see some of the uh, aerial photos of the Rishat structure. Some believe that it was Antarctica. Um, some uh, believed in the Hyperborea and that Atlantis was actually the North Pole. Uh, some, like Edgar Casey, believed that Atlantis was somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, off Cuba, maybe around the Bahamas, the Bermuda Triangle, things like that. Maybe it crossed uh, the Atlantis all the way to the Rock of Gibraltar. Um, so we'll discuss all these different things tonight. Um, and uh, I'll kind of lay into really after looking at, over all these different theories and claims, kind of what my personal opinion is. So before we even get into all that stuff, there's not going to be a whole lot of long opening monologue or anything regarding this topic. Um, I just wanted to make my announcements and then we can just start getting straight into the research. So uh, I, first of all, want to give a special thanks to the Instagram handle Christ underscore in underscore culture. Um, uh, thank you so much, brother. He actually sent me um, some some of these uh, socks and these are great ortho socks you can see they have actually a grip on the bottom so you don't slide it says serpents and scorpions um, with a very kind letter and a uh, greek icon of the nativity and i just want to give him a special shout out thank you so much brother christ in the culture again this is over on instagram go give him a follow it's christ underscore in underscore the underscore culture um, and you can get yourself a pair of these really fabulous socks, high quality. And so I just want to give him a special thank you. Thank you very much, brother, a fellow brother in Christ. Also, um, as you guys know, uh, the, one of the best ways to support my work is become a website member. And there are three different tiered memberships and you can access those uh, through this link right here. But I have a new offer for you guys. Uh, some of you may know that I have... Uh, Kind of had problems with the algorithm. Uh, the channel certainly isn't as successful as it was about a year, year and a half ago in regards to general engagement and viewership. Now, I could be getting worse at this. That's a possibility. Or it's a possibility that maybe um, I've triggered a few algorithms or whatnot and my channel's being slowly... Uh, I don't want to blame a shadow ban or anything like that, but... Certainly, it's less in my overall engagement, and so I have a proposition for some of you, and that is uh, two things. One, um, I'm going to start making some clips. People have been asking for clips. Usually, I make these long forum, uh, in-depth discussions, which I prefer personally, but if you are watching any stream or you go back and watch any streams or you remember any stream in particular where there's a section that's, let's say, under 20 minutes and you really like it, please timestamp it in the comments. I personally don't have a lot of time just to go back and re-watch re all my stuff. I really don't like to do that anyways. But if you guys are watching a stream, uh, please leave a comment that timestamps a section that you really like, and I can then go back and watch that section. And if it's good, then I can just cut it out and make clips. Also, also, I have another proposition and offer, and that is... Um, I'm willing to offer some free memberships to the website for people who will make reels and sort of stories of my content. A few people have done that over on Instagram, 
And it's really got quite a bit of traction and it's aided, uh, aided me in just kind of being introduced to new people over on Instagram, which has then brought some people over here on YouTube. And so um, if you... Uh, would be able to, again, this is just an, uh, uh, an offer for people, you know, you don't, maybe you don't have money to give, but another way you could really help me is to make reels and stories and clips, post it on TikTok, post it on Instagram, post it on, um, you know, whatever platform you're on and then tag me in it, like on Instagram. And then I can use those and upload those as reels on my own Instagram page. Um, if you do that, I'll give you a free membership to the website just for helping me out. You deserve it. You earn it. And based on, you know, how many you're doing, um, I'll, uh, you know, we can discuss it. So reach out to me privately. Also, if anybody would like to sign up for one-on-one -on -one sessions, you can do so with this link right here. If there's any topic you'd be interested in discussing, be it theology or mythology or magic or religion or goal setting, fitness, anything of the above, you can have my undivided attention for... Um, uh, you can have my undivided attention for a one-on-one -on -one session. And of course, again, a major thank you to Meta Ninjas for sponsoring tonight's streams. Thank you. Everybody give a hand to Meta Ninjas. This is a great topic. One of the other topics that he had was demonic magic and the, um, um, the mermaid stream. So Meta Ninjas has really helped me out, sponsored a handful of streams, really great topics. And I think this is another wonderful topic, even though, again, this is something I never got into is Atlantis, despite its popularity, right? Um, so uh, I think this is going to be a really fun stream. And if you have a topic you'd like me to dive into and, and sort of utilize my research capabilities, uh, go to the website and purchase a sponsored session. I'd greatly appreciate that if you could. Um, again, that link uh, for a sponsored stream, if you would like to do that, is right here. And uh, I would be greatly indebted, and I would love to dive into whatever topic you have. So, okay, with that being said, now we can just get into tonight's topic. Atlantis. Some of you are going to be familiar. Some of you may not be. Um, I was looking on YouTube, just putting in a quick uh, you know, YouTube search on the topic of Atlantis. Pretty interesting, the wide variety of claims you get. However, in the last couple of years, it seems like the conversations basically moved towards two options. As I said, some people speculated Atlantis, some people spec, I mean, uh, Antarctica, some people speculated the North Pole, the Hyperborea, some people speculated like Edgar Cayce, the, the psychic, that it was somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, somewhere between that and the Rock of Gibraltar, based on the descriptions of Plato. So really, how we come to know about Atlantis and the descriptions of Atlantis as a great trading hub, uh, multiple ethnicities and groups of people coming here to trade and exchange goods, um, its concentric circle structure, it having access to the sea, uh, this all comes from Plato, of which then he got it from his father, and then his father got it from a gentleman named, uh, I think it was a representative of, of Athens named Solon. And so um, this is how we've come to, in history to know about the topic or this place, this city, this empire, this kingdom called Atlantis. Um, what's interesting, too, is that within Europe, this 
descriptions of Atlantis gave hopes towards a, a sort of a political utopia. Uh, this set the stage for Roger Bacon's book, The New Atlantis. And of course, Sir Thomas More, he actually sort of coined the phrase utopia and regarding to reading about and believing in um, the, uh, the topic of Atlantis. Now, do I believe Atlantis is a real place in history. I do think that Plato was trying to refer to something that is real. Now, do I, I was looking at Gaia TV had a special on Atlantis and oh my gosh, that would make you laugh. It, it includes again, ancient aliens, the Anunnaki, uh, these super important spacefaring creatures and that, you know, Atlantis has all this super high technology. Do I believe in that? Absolutely not. Um, as you guys know, I don't believe in aliens. I don't believe in a lot of that stuff. But could there have been uh, ancient civilizations of higher culture? And how would we understand that as uh, Bible-believing Christians? I think that uh, that can cause some people a little bit of problems. How would, would you kind of fit Atlantis if it did exist in your historical timeline due to the literality one reads Genesis and believes in, uh, let's say, a young creationist um, framework. So I'm not here to convince anybody of anything. I'm just going to lay out kind of what the information is, what people think, and I'll tell you what I personally feel. Do I think that there's uh, considerable evidence for, uh, you know, there a major cataclysm at the end of what's called the Younger Dryas Age? This has to do with the last ice age of our planet. Yeah, I, I, I do think that that seems to be accurate. Do I think the Earth is millions of years old? I question that quite a bit. Uh, dinosaurs, not, I'm not so much uh, you know, convinced of that yet. So there are some things where I'm still open and skeptical of many things. Um, the um, the uh, popular theory that's been developed more recently, and this is what I was mentioning, uh, Joe Rogan in... Um, uh, in one of his more recent uh, podcasts, actually had Jimmy Corsetti and uh, Ben Ver, uh, was it Kirkwick? I think Ben Ben von Kirkwick uh, come on to to discuss some of their research, and it has to do with what's called the Rishat structure, uh, the Rishat structure. And so, if we go over here to Google Earth, uh, follow me here. Um, we can zoom in on a very interesting structure that many people are not aware of. How many of you are aware of uh, Mauritania? And now if we move in here and we look over here at this really interesting little guy here, uh, as we move in deeper and deeper and deeper, what exactly is this? What exactly is this? This Eye of the Sahara, as many people refer to it, has become to be believed by many, and uh, Bright Insight certainly makes a pretty strong case that this Eye of the Sahara is indeed the location of the civilization known as Ancient Atlantis. Um, there's a few, uh, I'll list one of some of the reasons why they believe this to be the ancient structure of Atlantis. Now, some of you say, well, hey, uh, why would it be there? It's not exactly in the Atlantic Ocean where um, the Azores Island that are off, off of uh, Portugal here, the Azores Island is another prominent uh, argument for where the location of Atlantis is. The, the, the problem is when, when Plato describes the uh, pillars of Hercules here at Gibraltar, 
how people interpret his location of Atlantis. Now, uh, I would say the sort of leading people, uh, modern archaeology, um, as we've seen in some of the discussions, again, I, that's where I would talk about Graham Hancock, not that I'm here to promote all his work or all his theories, but I certainly believe he's pointed to, um, you know, uh, certainly uh, quite a bit of evidence highlighting at the potentiality of an ancient civilization of higher cultures all across the planet in regards to the dating of some of these structures. You know, him and, and Robert Schock uh, redated the uh, Sphinx over here in Cairo and, and with the pyramids. And so uh, looking at some of the water erosion highlights that it seems like something was going on on our planet around 12,000 years ago, roughly speaking, approximately. And this was a time in which uh, much of the planet was frozen. And this has given way to many people believing that the descriptions of uh, the Noah's biblical flood has actually sort of scientific evidence during this period. Now, obviously, if you believe in a, a young Earth creationism, I'm not here to disprove or prove anything here. I'm just describing things. If you believe in a young earth creationism, um, that's going to be a little bit hard. You know, how do you fit the biblical narrative of Noah uh, described even, you know, in things like Gilgamesh? And we see flood narratives all across ancient mythology. Um, it seems like in a growing popular theory, certainly is, that there were major cataclysms during the end of the Younger Dryas era. So the Younger Dryas, for those of you who are not aware, like I said, is the most recent ice age. This was a return to the glacial conditions, which temporarily reversed the gradual climate, climatic warming after the last glacial maximum. The Younger Dryas was the last stage of the Paleocene Epoch, and it uh, preceded the current warmer Holocene Epoch. And so the Younger Dryas was the most severe and long-lasting of several interruptions to the warming of Earth's climate, and it was preceded by the late glacial um, interstadial. Uh, so the Younger Dryas is just important to know in regards to this timeline that it around 12,900 to uh, 11,700 years uh, BC before, or really not, uh, it's from the current dating. So it had been 9,000 or so years BC. Um, but uh, this period is believed to have had a sort of climatic shift. If you guys are familiar with Randall Carlson's work, he is one who believes that Atlantis is actually over here in the Azores Island. This right here is called the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. This is a tectonic plate. And there is the Azores Plateau, for those of you who have never heard of that. So there's actually a plateau right in this area here. And you can kind of see this ridge move right through the center of the Atlantic Ocean. And during this Younger Dryas period, there is actual evidence that it was above water. Because if there was a major frozen period during the Younger Dryas era, that means the ocean levels would have been much lower. And because of the weight, the ice, uh, the glacial period would have put all on top of Canada and down into even where I'm at in Indiana, down into here in the United States. It would have actually elevated uh, due to the glacial weight the uh, that it would have uh, elevated other land masses. And so he believes, Randall Carlson, that the right here in this Azars Plateau, that this was the location of Atlantis. Um I want to go and talk about, uh, you know, what what did play? How did Plato describe Atlantis, and what exactly was it? Um, you know, here in the so I want to read a little bit of these dialogues. 
Uh, thank you so much, George. Uh, really appreciate Shout out to you, brother. Hope you and the family are doing well. Uh, guys, if you'd like to support, make sure you send in a super chat, preferably with... Um, uh, YouTube or the Streamlabs link. Streamlabs doesn't take as much money out, but I would greatly appreciate that. So I'd like to read a little bit of this to you guys on what how Plato described Atlantis. Uh, also, I have a whole section here. I don't think we have time to get into all of this, but this is a much more in-depth regard to the story of Atlantis, uh, the Atlantis debate, the modern search for the true Atlantis. This is a nice little article, and I will share this with you guys as we move through. Of course, we have the History Channel because Atlantis has always been associated with these crazy conspiracy theories, right? And so we have the History Channel channeling us the top six theories about Atlantis. Atlantis was a mid-Atlantic continent that uh, suddenly sunk into the ocean. Well, if it was the Azores Plateau, that could have been quite possible. Uh, another is that the Atlantis was swallowed up by the Bermuda Triangle. This uh, gets into, uh, again, Edward Casey, Edgar Casey, the psychic, um, believing that, again, it was somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico. Atlantis was Antarctica. This is a theory that some people uh, have put forth, um, that the story of Atlantis was a mythical retelling of the Black Sea Flood. Possible. Atlantis is the story of the Minoan civilization, which flourished at the Greek islands circa 2500 to 1600 B.C., or Atlantis didn't exist at all and Plato invented it all. Uh, I lean not so much in that direction. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. I'm, again, I'm not here to make the official claim, but, I, um, but it's certainly interesting. Uh, we could read this article. Again, Fingerprints of the Gods. This has to do with the Younger Dryas uh, boundary field. That's what this is talking about here, in which there is, again, Earth was much, much cooler. And during this period... The Sahara was actually green. So when we go back to here and we see how the Sahara is just a massive desert, we look at from Sudan to Egypt all the way to West Sahara, it's incredibly hot, averaging, you know, generally around 120 degrees Fahrenheit year round, incredibly inhospitable. However, at one point, this was actually green. And so we can't play all of this, but, and I'm, um, if you, if we see a little, so this is a PBS on when the Sahara was green, right? And you, I'm just going to play a quick section here because we don't want to get any copyrights, but you can see this is a known thing that, uh, you know, as, as early as back as around 5,000 years ago, the Sahara was actually incredibly hospitable. It was very green, very luscious, a lot of life, a lot of animals. And I'm just going to play a section here. We don't want to get copyrighted. Summer became hotter and longer than usual, so the African summer monsoon was able to strengthen and move farther north over the Sahara Desert. Then, as vegetation grew, the plants held on to moisture better than the bare sand could, and that ended up decreasing the land's albedo, that is, the proportion of solar radiation that it reflected. And this helped keep the northern hemisphere even warmer and wetter. In time, the increased moisture made the Sahara so wet that there were actual bodies of water there. Recent studies found that the Sahara had isolated pockets of lakes and wetlands that formed natural basins. Some lakes were there long enough that they left behind ancient shorelines, kind of like geological bathtub rings. Anyways, uh, we don't need to listen any more of, of this particular video, but I do want to highlight, you see these rivers, you see this major lake right in the center of the Sahara, you see how green it was. Uh, this is a climate that was very different than what we see now. And so when we look over here and come back to the Rishat structure, um, 
it makes it a little bit more plausible. Could this actually have been Atlantis? Because what you see is when we zoom out, it looks like everything is sort of sweeping to the left here. And there's actually been many uh, professionals claim, well, what this clearly shows is some type of water erosion. Could there have been a massive tsunami that, if again, we're looking at this desert here, uh, that water ripped across Algeria uh, through, again, what was at that time a much greener Sahara region, all the way through Mortania into the ocean? And could it have been this structure have a sort of waterway that went straight into the ocean? Well, it does look like that based on elevation, that from the Rishad structure, it it is possible that water, a gateway, you could have sailed basically from the ocean into the Rishad structure, which we know had uh, salt deposits. So I'm just going to lay out a few of, uh, here. here's some more pictures of the Rishad structure. Here you can see how it's sort of sweeping across. Um, you can, here it is right here. And you can see how it, it's, water erosion clearly was moving across into the ocean. And this, uh, can, and this is proven also by the, um, uh, let's see if I have it here, the Mauritania slide. I should have it somewhere. Let's see. Uh, Mauritania slide. Uh, maybe not. But if we can put it in here. Uh, Mauritania slide. Oh, no, 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 no. Here we go. You can see right off the edge of, of Africa or right off where Mauritania is, this whole structure is actually indicative of massive water spill, land spill out into the ocean, which again may in fact highlight that uh, there was a major flood that sort of wiped away the civilization, which could potentially lead more credence to Plato's theory. Um, again, going back to the Rishot structures here, I want to list, again, if you listen to Jimmy Corsetti, who... Him and, and Ben Von uh, Kirkwick just did a major podcast with Joe Rogan, which is really, uh, really Providence because uh, Meta Ninjas purchased this stream for me to do on Atlantis uh, back in December. It just so happened that uh, within the last month, a lot of this Rishad structure and the existence of Atlantis has sort of reemerged as a very popular topic and uh, again, call it Providence coincidence, synchronicity, whatever it be. Uh, just a couple days ago, Joe Rogan did another podcast with, with one of the gentlemen who does believe that the Rishat structure is, in fact, the uh, place of Atlantis. And so here I'm going to list some of his reasonings. And if you'd like to watch his video on that topic, um, which is very good, you can do so with this link right here. So let me share this link with you guys. So the link that I just shared with you right there um, is, in fact, uh, the link for the video and which has been uh, quite popular in discussing uh, the Rishat structure as the as the place for Atlantis. Now, um, I want to list basically if you watch that video, here's his major evidence. And it is quite interesting. Uh, one, nobody really has an explanation of why the Rishat structure is there, why it looks like that and how it exists. Uh, so it is a sort of natural wonder of the world, if you will. Um, this structure right there that was called the Eye of the Sahara. Another interesting one is the Pomponius Mela and Herodotus maps. So let me see if I have that somewhere. The Pomponius Mela. Uh, do, here we go. Pomponius Mela. 
This was the earliest Roman geographer, um, and his short work remained in, his, in use nearly in the year 1500. It occupies less than 100 pages of ordinary print and is described by the Encyclope- Encyclopedia Britannica in 1911 as, quote, dry in style and deficient in method, but uh, of pure uh, Latinity and occasionally revealed by uh, pleasing world pictures. Okay, well, what's interesting is if you look at it and you see it's kind of uh, it's kind of uh, hard to see. This is not oriented, you know, north to south. Really, at the at the top here is um, is let's see, let's catch our bearings. That is that is west. So the top of this is west. North is technically to the left. And so that's where you see Hispania down at the bottom. So that's Spain. And you see the Rock of Gibraltar. And if we zoom in here, if we zoom in, what we'll see... Oh, uh, come on. Uh, what we'll see is... Okay. Uh, that's not what we want to see. There we go is Atlante. So you see right here, uh, you see Moria, Moria, Atlante. So on his map, this map of Pomponius Mela, um, it does in fact identify Atlante or potentially Atlantis in in fact this northern Sahara region in Africa. That's quite interesting. Also, if you look at Herodotus's map, he also posits Atlantis in the northern Sahara, in a very similar place close to the Rishat structure. Um, so that's quite interesting. However, with the Herodotus map, there's been major questions of whether Herodotus actually ever made a map. And so then there's major questions about the authenticity of the map. But whether Herodotus made the map or not, both Herodotus or the map attributed to a Herodotus and which was, I think, Her- the map attributed to Herodotus or his map, we don't know, is around 450 BC. So both that map and then this map by the Latin Pompanius Mela both identify this, this civilization or this region known as Atlante or Atlantis in the Sahara. Um, another uh, element in regards to the Rishat structure potentially being the site of Atlantis is... Um, the capital city was said to be made up of concentric circles, of which within those land masses of concentric circles was ocean water or water. Um, is, that, is there any evidence of that at the Rishad structure? Well, in fact, there is. And if we go back to the map here, all this white that we see, this white here, 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 that is an act, that's actually salt. And so when we go back to the Rishad structure, all that white that's surrounding it, that is, in fact, salt. How did the salt get there? Well, the salt got there because most likely there was, in fact, a major flood tsunami, which is what, uh, again, if you watch the podcast on, on Joe Rogan's podcast with Ben, Vern Kirk, uh, <laughs> ben Von Kirkwick and Jimmy Corsetti, they believe that during this Younger Dryas period of which the Earth was this cataclysm that we were hit with many asteroids, meteors, that there was a major one that hid inside the Indian Ocean, of which we know there's already evidence how, again, major tsunamis affected the geography of India, Sri Lanka, all this different stuff. Well, they also believe that it caused such a tsunami that it came across 
and washed all the way across this northern African region. And if, again, if this was Atlantis, clearly there would already have been ocean water here. Now that it's all dried up, it's interesting that there's salt deposits from salt water because the water's all evaporated, but the salt's still there. And in this region, in Mauritania, throughout history, they've been known for a salt trade. Um, so that leads a little bit more credence to this being potentially um, the, the site of Atlantis. Another one is that the capital city had an opening to the sea to the south. Now, as we look to this map, if you were in Atlantis, yeah, somewhat to the southwest, we can see this opening. Around it, there's, a, there's mountainous structures, right? Around it is mountainous structures. But right through here to the southwest, there is an opening. And that opening could, uh, if, again, the theories were right, there would be river systems that would take you all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. Leads another bit of credence there. Um, it was uh, made, there's a description by Plato that Atlantis was made of uh, black, red, and yellow stones. Well, if you watch the video of Jimmy Corsetti on his YouTube channel, uh, Bright Insight, he does highlight that these black, red, and gold stones are still found in Mauritania, as well as gold. Another description um, in Plato's is that during Atlantis, there was a, an abundance of gold. Well, interestingly enough, uh, those who are aware of uh, Mansa Musa, let me put it in here, Mansa Musa, this is the wealthiest man in history. Mansa Musa was indeed the wealthiest man in history. He was an African king that uh, controlled a empire that was, ba you know, this is where Timbuktu became one of the major uh, trading posts all of, of the entire world there in the Sahara. Because, again, this was at a greener, uh, well, at this point, the Sahara was still a little bit dry, but it was pretty dry, actually. But Mansa Musa was the wealthiest man in the world, and he still, so even according to Bill Gates, Elon Musk, you know, Bezos, Mansa Musa, because the amount of gold and the Mali, again, here we can see Mali, uh, the Mauritania, this whole region here was his kingdom. And it is filled with gold. In fact, the majority of the gold in, uh, in, in existence right now that's being traded around the world still is believed to come from Mansa Musa. So that, that's, again, an interesting, interesting insight there. Um, now, Europe, there's many descriptions as well that Europe got the majority of its gold from Mauritania, which, again, Mauritania is where we would find the Rishad structure. Um, it, Plato describes Atlantis having an abundance of elephant ivory. And when some of the cave and some of these rocket, uh, the, these uh, mountainous regions, we do find cave paintings of elephants, which could potentially lead evidence uh, to, again, when, when the Sahara was much greener, as we talked about, when the Sahara was really green, really vibrant, it would make sense that elephants were probably there, people doing cave art probably were describing that indeed there was um, elephants and ivory in abundance in that region. Um, there is another description of, of that Plato has of geysers in hot thermal water. Well, does that appear at the Rishat structure? Um, it's 
It does, actually. So this was debated, and this was actually, for many people, a reason why they believe that the Rishout structure was indeed not Atlantis, because it doesn't have any hot geysers. There's no, there's no hot, hot springs. But in more recent papers, again, as Jimmy Corsetti has highlighted, um, there is evidence. Multiple scholars have claimed that there is the existence of a hydrothermal complex in the Rishout structure. So, hmm, interesting there as well. Uh, the Sahara, as I said, was green and filled with life. The Atlantis Mountains are to the north. So, again, Atlas, uh, the Atlas Mountains. So let me put this in. The Atlas Mountains, Atlas Mountains, are here to the north of this region. So the Saharan Atlas Range. Now, What's really interesting is that as we, again, if we look here, um, uh, Poseidon, where is Poseidon? Um, let's see. Poseidon is said to have uh, mated with a mortal woman. And this mortal woman, um, Cleto, I believe her name, she gave birth to the king of Atlantis, whose name was Atlas. Now, are the is Atlas the name of the mountains or the king? Again, how exactly, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, nobody really knows, but it is certainly interesting. And this little tidbit, Poseidon mating with a mortal woman. Now, if you're, if you're following me here, guys, please smash that like. We uh, Can we get these likes up, please? I would really appreciate that. If you haven't liked uh, the stream, please, please give me a like. I'd greatly appreciate that. Now, this is kind of my angle. Now, as I said, uh, I, what, something that I found very interesting, and I'm coming the, at this as an Orthodox Christian, that Atlantis um, is claimed to have, you know, came about through the, the mating, or, or at least, uh, you know, the king of Atlantis, Atlas, through the mating of Poseidon and a mortal woman. Does that sound anything like the Nephilim? Uh, and so... I was thinking that it's interesting how Atlantis is this side of these advanced technologies, of which many of the scholars that we've talked about uh, already, they believe that advanced civilization with advanced technology, be it Egypt, and, and Egypt is interestingly the first place where we find the description of Atlantis. In fact, Plato says that Sol, um, um, was it Solon, he got it from the Egyptians. And the Egyptians claim to have come from the Atlanteans. And if the, you know, this all dried up around 4,500 years ago or 45 BC, uh, that would, or 4,500 4, BC or 4,500 years ago, um, so give or take a few thousand years, uh, that's about the dating of the pyramids. And so Jimmy Corsetti, and this is where I, I am not making any claim myself, but Jimmy Corsetti believes that, that the Giza pyramids, which again have already been contemplated and dated because, you know, Graham Hancock believes that the Sphinx is 12,000 years old. Again, right at that point of the end of the Younger Dryas and during that period in which the Sahara and all of Northern Africa was much more wet because according to him and Robert Schock, the, the Sphinx does in fact have water erosion. So um, the Egyptians were the ones who really popularized the, the stories and narratives about Atlantis, and they claimed their civilization, they claimed they came from that civilization. And 
some of these people like Jimmy Corsetti and Ben von Kirkwick, they believe that um, they believe that the Atlanteans, Atlantis had these advanced tech, ancient technologies, and that's how the Egyptians were you uh, they knew of and how they were able to. Uh, quarry out many of the granite stones used for obelisks and building of the pyramids and, and many of the great feats that we see in ancient Egypt, of which we know as Egypt went further and further along in history, they knew less and less and less about how exactly all that stuff was built, which is a bit of a conundrum. Um, but isn't it interesting? And I'm not, I'm not claiming this. I'm not claiming that. I'm just throwing it out there for people to think about that... Um, that what if there was a sort of what, what you know who are the nephilim and that even in the bible is a very contemplated uh concept you know are they fallen angels are they fallen men what exactly are they this the, the bible in genesis 6 kind of talks about these giants that roam the earth well what if they were fallen angels i'm just throwing this out there and i'm not making this claim or even saying this is what i believe but i thought it was interesting nonetheless and worth discussion what if there was a sort of fallen angels, these 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 angelic entities that did mate with mortal women and create these sort of uh, hybrid entities, if you will, and they did have a sort of advanced technology, if you will, and that's partly why maybe God did have the Great Flood. Is that possible? Maybe all these narratives and what the Bible's trying to show us with the description of Noah in, the, in Noah's Ark is that maybe God really was unhappy with the state of the planet and this potential mating between fallen angels and mortal women? I don't know. I don't know. I'll leave that up to you guys to think about and sort of contemplate. Um, but it's certainly interesting nonetheless, because for many of the people who are into this stuff, they they get into these sort of ancient aliens, these, these sort of wider conspiracies. And me as a Christian, I'm thinking, hmm, so this is the basis for all these utopian ideas. Uh, these millenarian concepts, which, again, we as Christians believe the world's going to get worse and worse as people who believe in a sort of millenarian movement towards utopia, things are going to get better and better. Again, a sort of basis for today's progressive ideology. Um, is it, it, it? It could be. It's worth interesting. It's interesting enough to think about that maybe... Maybe the Nephilim are related to this sort of ancient Atlantis city. Maybe there was maybe some high uh, various forms of technologies that they had, and that's partly of why God wanted to reset culture, if you will. And that's why then the contemporary theories of all this stuff is that culture doesn't really emerge until 5,000 years ago. And this is this where we would get then the beginning of the Old Testament and, and many of our biblical narratives and understandings of the world. Again, I don't know. I don't know. It's just something I was say, thinking about. It's certainly worth reflecting upon. Um, so, uh, again, continuing on here with the wrist shot structure, um, the Mauritania slide, as I talked about, was water erosion uh, from the Sahara. Um, and I pulled that up over here. And then the Trans-Sahara Seaway. Uh, let me see if I can pull anything up in regards to the Trans-Sahara Seaway. Uh, here's Atlas of Mortania. So here is um, Atlas of Mortania. Uh, I always thought Atlas's books or maps, that is, were named after Atlas, the Greek titan who carries the earth on his shoulders, and it indeed he who appears of the engraving. Um, 
Okay, however, it was Guardius uh, Mercator, the legendary mapmaker, who invented the term, and apparently he did not have the Greek Titan in mind at all, but rather Atlas of Mauritania, a famous philosopher, mathematician, and astronomer who was also king of Mauritania. Not very much is known about this man, however, Wikipedia has next to nothing. And so, interesting, you know, um, um, it, it, you know, what do we think about that? I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not here to, to, you know, prove anything to anybody. I'm just here to talk about, you know, Atlantis. So another interesting thing that Jimmy Corsetti talks about is the Imikusu or Kusi uh, volcano. Let me see if I can pull that up. Imikusi, here we go. This is the highest volcano in the Sahara. And Imikusi, um, as you can, let me pull up some photos here. Imi okay images okay now um you can see where the lava so the last explosion uh scientists believe was twelve thousand years ago that this volcano exploded this is the highest volcano in the sahara but if you see to the right here there seems to be something wiping away all the lava rock right so everything else, you can see the lava, you know, di you know, dissipate everywhere, spread everywhere. But um, to the right, it seems like something was almost erasing it or, or washing it away. And this has led many people to believe this is the part of that great tsunami or the great flood that sort of wiped across northern Sahara. And that is, in fact, would mean that it did that after the last explosion of Imikusi, which means this would put it about 11,400 uh, years ago, and that is basically in line with Graham Hancock's uh, theories, Randall Carlson's theories of these, again, these climatic events at the end of the Younger Dryas region. Um, again, it's certainly interesting to think about, but in addition to that, if we look at this photo here, this is not snow. Despite Emikusi being uh, 11,000 feet high from sea level, this is not snow. This is salt. Well, how the heck did salt get inside of a 11,000 foot volcano unless there is a massive water uh, movement, again, greater than our mind can really fathom, where there'd be a amount of water that would reach 11,000 feet and that eventually that water or this lake, people believed, uh, scholars believe that at one point there was a lake inside the top of this volcano and that is salt then from that lake after all that water is evaporated. Um, that would mean all that happened after the last time this volcano exploded and uh, would lead a little bit more credence to this theory about the Rishot structure potentially being the site of, a, of Atlantis or at least something uh, major happening in regards to uh, water. Um, and so, uh, so that is also something quite interesting. Um, and then the mollusks were found inside the Rishot structure. So if we go back to the Rishot structure... Um, scientists have also found that, again, this is a theory of maybe what it looked like at one point, um, that the Rishot structure does in fact have evidence of mollusks and life forms at the bottom of it, which would lead, again, a little bit more credence to the idea that maybe, in fact, it is a site of, uh, of Atlantis, because there's certainly have been water around this. If, again, we're finding mollusks, uh, potential evidence of squid, all that type of stuff, uh, snails, all of that. 
And so if also it was not in the Atlantic Ocean, so if this was Atlantis, and again, this was all green, all, all this Sahara Desert was in fact green and there was rivers flowing everywhere, it would be interesting because it would make water passage to Atlantis. You could get to Atlantis from the Mediterranean without ever going into the Atlantic Ocean. And it would make certainly travel to Atlantis easier if it, again, if it was this site um, than out in the middle of the ocean for sort of less advanced civilizations that did, weren't as seafaring. Now, if you, again, like I said, you talked about to Randall Carlson, and he has like a 10-hour presentation on this stuff. I listened to as much of his stuff as I could, but it's really, really detailed um, where he tries to make the argument based on Plato talking about the uh, Atlantis being straight off the pillars of Hercules. That would be Gibraltar. So if you go straight out, um, you would then get into uh, the Azores Islands and all this different stuff, which he believes the Azor Plateau right through here was in fact uh, Atlantis. Could be. That, that very well could be as well. Um, one of the major criticisms of the Rishat structure being, in fact, uh, the site of Atlantis has to do with the size. So this is many multiples larger than Plato's description on the size of Atlantis. And this is also why Randall Carlson puts, uh, he hedges that he does not believe this is the structure for two reasons. So the, so the two main reasons that I heard him talk about why he does not believe the Rishat structure is indeed Atlantis is one, it's so much larger than um, um, than uh, the way Plato describes it, and also uh, it's not straight from Gibraltar, right? So the pillars of Hercules right here in Gibraltar, Plato says it they were they were like straight from straight out from there. Now, Jimmy Corsetti claims, and now you either move around northern Spain and Portugal here um, and stay close to, to the land, or you go down south and there's an entire, um, you know, the, the, the water itself, the uh, flow, uh, I, I, I'm, losing, I, I'm losing my words here. It would take you, basically the winds, the, the tide would take you down the coast of Africa. And so if you just went straight out of the pillars of Hercules here, Gibraltar, and you just stayed close to Africa, indeed, the tide would basically take you down to Mauritania. That's his argument. Uh, Randall Carlson disagrees. So that basically summarizes a lot of the, the actual scientific evidence of if there was an Atlantis, where it could be. It's either in the middle of the Atlantic um, around the Azor Plateau, which would have been elevated out of the water. The ocean's levels would have been much small, uh, much more shallow, and much of North America and all this stuff would have been frozen due to the Younger Dryas, the last ice age. And so that would have made this a very warm and you know hospitable place, potentially for a civilization. Also, at that point, the Sahara would have been much greener. So, you know, we'll... we'll that is, that's basically the general consensus. Um, so from there, we can, uh, let's dive into some of these articles now. That, now that you kind of have an idea of what the general discussions are on Atlantis, um, you know, um, let's read about like how Plato described it. So the original story of the lost island of Atlantis comes to us from two Socratic dialogues, um, the Timaeus and the Critias. 
uh, both written about uh, 360 BCE by the Greek philosopher Plato. Together, the dialogues are a festival speech prepared by Plato to be told on the day of Panathenia in honor of the goddess Athena. They describe a meeting of two men who had met the previous day to hear Socrates describe the ideal state, the Socratic dialogue. According to the dialogue, Socrates asked three men to meet him on this day, Timaeus of Locri, Hermocrates of Syracuse, and uh, Critias of Athens. Socrates asked the men to tell him stories about how the ancient Athens, how ancient Athens interacted with other states. The first to report was Critias, who told how his grandfather had met with the Athenian poet and lawgiver Solon, one of the seven sages. Solon had been to Egypt where priests had compared Egypt and Athens and talked about the gods and legends of both lands. One such Egyptian story was about Atlantis. The Atlantis tale is part of the Socratic dialogue, not a historical treatise. The story is preceded by an account of Helios, the sun god's son, uh, Phaethon yoking horses to his father's chariot and then driving them through the sky and scorching the earth. Rather than exact reporting of past events, the Atlantis story describes an impossible set of circumstances which were designed by Plato to represent how a miniature utopia failed and became a lesson to us defining proper behavior of a state. So therefore, again, did Atlantis ever exist? It's very possible that this is an entire myth. And it never existed at all. Um, that you know, it. I really, I really don't even have a strong opinion. Um, it's very possible. It's very possible that he. It was a sort of just a a mythic example of a sort of utopian state, continent, kingdom, empire, place, city, wealth of exchange, commerce that sort of went under literally the ocean. The tale, according to the Egyptians, or rather what Plato described, Critias reporting what his grandfather was told by Solon, who heard it from the Egyptians. Once upon a time, there was a mighty power based on an island in the Atlantic Ocean. This empire was called Atlantis, and it ruled over several other islands and parts of the continents of Africa and Europe. Atlantis was arranged in concentric rings of alternating water and land. The soil was rich, said Critias. The engineers technically accomplished the architecture extravagant with baths, harbor installations, and barracks. The central plain outside the city had canals and a magnificent irrigation system. Atlantis had kings and a civil administration as well as an organized military. The rituals matched Athens for bull-baiting, sacrifice, and prayer. But when it waged an unprovoked imperialistic war on the remainder of Asia and Europe, when Atlantis attacked, Athens showed its excellence as the leader of the Greeks, the much smaller city-state, the only power to stand against Atlantis. Alone, Athens triumphed over the invading Atlantean forces, defeating the enemy, preventing the free from being enslaved, and freeing those who had been enslaved. After the battle... There were violent earthquakes and floods, and Atlantis sank into the sea, and the Athenian warriors were uh, swallowed up by the earth. The Atlant is Atlantis based on a real island? The Atlantis story is clearly a parable. Plato's myth is of two cities which compete with each other, not on legal grounds, but rather cultural and political confrontation and ultimately world war. A small but just city triumphs over a mighty aggressor. 
The story also features a cultural war between wealth and modesty, between a maritime and an agrarian society, and between an engineering science and a spiritual force. Atlantis as a concentric ringed island in the Atlantic which sank under the sea is almost certainly a fiction based on many ancient political realities. And this, I share this article because the official narrative, um, everybody says it is a myth. The, the modern state of archaeology, um, you know, geology, uh, the profession, you know, professionals of academia laugh off the existence of Atlantis. That's why I began by showing you Randall Carlson, Graham Hancock's and Jimmy Corsetti's argument um, on the existence of Atlantis, because really the only people who have chosen to try to prove that it did exist are, are, are outside this uh, sort of scholastic academic walls. Scholars have suggested that the idea of Atlantis was an ag as an aggressive barbarian civilization is a reference to either Persia or Carthage, both of them military powers who had been imperialistic notions. The explosive disappearance of an island might have been a reference to the eruption of a Minoan Santorini. Atlantis as a tale really should be considered a myth and one that closely correlates to Plato's notions of the Republic examining the deteriorating cycle of life in a state. Hmm. Again, uh, I'm going to share. This is a. This is a real. We just don't have time. Uh, we can come back to this. Here, we'll we'll read a little bit. We'll read a little bit. Um, the Atlantis debate. Let me. Uh, okay. Even Plato's contemporaries were divided over the question of whether Atlantis' story was an actual history or a serviceable lie, given the context in which Critias. Uh, offers the Atlantis story, it is reasonable to assume that Plato simply made the story up so he could train the microscope of philosophy on certain ideas about piety, politics, and human nature. Others, however, citing Critias' lengthy preamble and repeated insistence that the story is true, have argued that while the philosopher may have used the story to serve his philosophical ends, he nevertheless believed the story to be true. Therefore, they argue that the story of Atlantis has at least a kernel of historical truth in it. Not much has changed in the 2,400 years since Plato's time. During the classical antiquity, some took the Atlantis story literally, arguing that it is a real place and that Plato intended for his audience to take the story at face value. Others disputed the existence of Atlantis, sometimes parroting the literalist as dreamers and quacks. Still others, like uh, Euhemeros, borrowed Plato's method, creating long-lost civilizations of their own to illustrate their own philosophical ideas. While little was said about Atlantis or any of Plato's works during the European Middle Ages, the Renaissance saw rekindled interest in all things classical, including the Atlantis story. Soon, a new generation of thinkers began to debate whether or not Atlantis had been a real place. A few, like Sir Francis Bacon, author of The New Atlantis, and Sir Thomas More, author of Utopia, followed Plato's lead, positing ideal island societies of their own. And again, here, let me share this article with you guys. Uh, anybody who would like to uh, read more on this. Modern Search for the True Atlantis. Because no resolution could be found to this debate, interest in the Atlantis story had begun to wane by the middle of the 19th century. But in 1882, Ignatius Donnelly published Atlantis, the Antediluvian World. And I, I grabbed that for us to look at. It's this right here. 
Atlantis, the Antediluvian World is a pseudo-graphical book published in 1882 by Minnesota populist politician Ignatius Donnelly, who was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 1831. Donnelly considered Plato's account of Atlantis as largely factual and suggests all that known ancient civilizations were descended from this lost land. Okay, many of its theories are the source of many modern-day concepts about Atlantis, including these, the civilization and technology beyond its time, the origins of all present races and civilizations, and a civil war between good and evil. Now, again, this race and civilizations, I'm going to come back to a point both for Nazi Germany and Helena Blavatsky, who believed that the Atlanteans were the fourth race. Now, for those of you who are aware of Helena Blavatsky's uh, theosophic understandings of the evolutionary origins of race, history culminates in the Aryan race. Go figure. And um, for her, the Aryan race is the fifth race, and the fifth race comes from the fourth race, which she believed to be the Atlanteans. And so Helena Blavatsky was a, uh, a, a proponent of a literal understanding of Atlantis and, um, and its empire. Okay, moving back to it. A few years later, Sir Arthur Evans discovered the existence of the Minoans, a previously unknown prehistoric culture of considerable technological advancement. At last, those who believed that there was at least a grain of truth in Plato's story had likely suspect in their search for the true Atlantis. The Minoans, who rose to prominence at about the same time as the Egyptians, were among the most wealthy and powerful societies in the prehistoric Mediterranean. <clears throat> But around 1350 B.C., their society collapsed, seemingly overnight. In the early 20th century, evidence emerged that the single most devastating volcanic eruption in the past 26,000 years had taken place around 1600 B.C. on the island of Santorini, uh, ancient Thera. At first, it was believed that the natural cataclysm had destroyed the Minoans, an obvious echo of Plato's Atlanteans, who suffered earthquakes and floods and were sunk beneath the waves. As it happens, this massive eruption, as devastating as it was, did not cause a rapid disappearance of the Minoans, who recovered and throve for another 250 years. But according to the literalists, this fact does not rule out the possibility that the Minoans were the antagonistic power remembered in the legend as Atlantis, Recent archaeological discoveries on what remains of ancient Thera have, if anything, uh, strengthened what some now call the Atlantis Hypothesis. The discovery of Akrotiri, uh, Acrot 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 a city that was buried and preserved, like Pompeii, under tons of volcanic ash, has yielded a rich treasure trove of artifacts, including a number of wall-sized frescoes depicting Minoan ships passing between islands and larger landmasses. Many of these scenes are peaceful, but some portray armed soldiers and even drowned fighters floating among the waves. For years, most scholars assumed that the uh, Akrotiri culture was a colony of the powerful Minoan society on Crete, but there is some evidence to suggest that the reverse was true. In any case, Thera was the home of a populous, wealthy, and powerful Minoan society. Archaeological digs on this mainland indicate that the Minoans traded with the Helladic cultures living there, including those living in the small settlements that later became Athens. Some have seen these archaeological discoveries, the outline of Plato's Atlantis story. The Minoan society on Thera was wealthy, powerful, and occasionally warlike. Plato's narrative says as much about the Atlanteans. It is certain that the Therans 
traded with the Halatic peoples living in the mainland and were there as wealth is a potential of wars and aggression. The Akratiri frescoes suggest as much about the Therans as Plato's account certainly emphasizes the warlike tendencies of the Atlanteans. And finally, those who consider Thera a likely candidate for being the, quote, real Atlantis, unquote, note that its sudden and complete annihilation, as well as that of other coastal settlements like early Athens, by massive earthquakes and vast tsunamis, tallies nicely with Plato's statement that both Atlantis and Athens sank beneath the waves in a single day and night of misfortune. Okay, here I want to get to Edward Edgar Casey. So far, we have summarized the modern debate among academic experts over the cautious hypothesis about the story of Atlantis contains at its core a few grains of historical fact. But over the past 50 years, quite a few less cautious enthusiasts have concocted hundreds of theories about the location of the true Atlantis. Its location has been discovered in Sweden, England, the Sahara Desert. That would be the Rishat structure. The Azores, that would be the Azores Islands or the Azores Plateau. Uh, I would, again, I would give it to the Azores Plateau most likely, but the Canary Islands, the North Pole, Antarctica, Bolivia, the Bahamas, the Indian Ocean, Utah, Pennsylvania, and Alabama, and the list goes on. The psychic Edgar Casey famously de declared that he had discovered in trance the Akashic Record, you know, that record of, of all of humanity. The accumulated secrets of the Atlanteans was buried in a vault beneath the Sphinx in Egypt. And there are libraries and, of books and hundreds of websites that connect Atlantis to extraterrestrials, races of enlightened beings, interdimensional portals, not to mention dozens of so far unattested civilizations based in Africa, Europe, and the Americas. In addition... Millions of dollars in grant funds have been spent on ships, submarines, sonar mapping equipment, and teams of marine archaeologists and salvage divers hoping to make breakthrough discovery. A number of well-funded explorations have taken place off the Strait of Gibraltar and the coast of Turkey, Libya, and Italy, and any number of scholars have attempted to connect the scant clues in Plato's dialogues with known geological, archaeological, and even astronomical uh, phenomenon in the ancient world. The marine expeditions have even discovered sunken cities, though their names and histories have been well known to experts in the ancient Mediterranean world. Despite these tantalizing discoveries, no consensus has emerged about whether the Atlantis story dimly remembers actual historical events or if it does or were the lost civilization's ruins may be found. Indeed, unless divers find a sunken island with a Welcome to Atlantis sign posted on its outskirts, it is unlikely that the, res the resolution will ever be found. And so, again, you guys can read the rest of that article if you would like. I've already read the History Channel's uh, descriptions, which fails to actually mention the Sahara Desert. Um, we can come back to this if you want. This has to do, well, we can read it real quick. This has to do with the Younger Dryas um, boundary field, okay? And this, this is more contemporary. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you to believe everything that Graham Hancock says or his fingerprint of the gods, which is one of his more popular books. I'm not here to convince you of anything, really. I, I, my mind's not fully convinced of anything. I'm just here to share ideas with you. And so the graphic shows here the vast swath of our planet that geologists call the Younger Dryas Boundary across a huge, quote, fingerprint spanning North America, Central America, and South America, most of Europe, and parts of the Middle East, as well as a telltale trace of multiple impacts by the fragments of a giant comet that has been found. Some of these fragments were two kilometers or more than a 
or more in diameter, and they hit the Earth like a blast of a cosmic scatter gun around 12,800 years ago. This was near the end of the last Ice Age, which from our world has been emerging into a pleasant warming phase, but the impact set in train a kind of nuclear winter and plunged the planet back into a period of cold and darkness that lasted until around 11,500 years ago. And this is that 11,500 years ago is that date where for Graham Hancock, he's found a lot of interesting uh, evidence for that, for that sort of great flood narrative and, 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 um, and such. Okay. It is the period of extreme cold that was referred to as the Younger Dryas after a characteristic alpine tundra wildflower, Dryas octopetala. But it is only now with conclusive evidence that the common impact that we can be sure of caused it. For the, fa- for the past seven years, academics have been involved in such an intense dispute about whether or not the common impact actually occurred 12,800 years ago and that the implications of what it might have meant for the story of civilization have yet to be considered at all. But every attempt to uh, refute the impact evidence has in turn been refuted by the case of the Younger Dryas Comet is now so compelling that it is time to widen the debate. It is clear now that some of the largest fragments of the comet hit the North American ice cap, which was still a mile deep 12,800 years ago and caused cataclysmic flooding. Okay, cause cataclysmic flooding. I had the opportunity to explore some of the extraordinary effects of this on the ground in September 2014 when I drove from Portland, Oregon to Minneapolis, Minnesota, with catastrophist researcher Randall Carlson. Simultaneously, other large fragments hit the northern European cap with some with the same cataclysmic effects. The result was a global disaster that lasted 1,300 years. It is, I believe, the smoking gun that made us a species with amnesia and wiped out almost all traces of a former high civilization of prehistoric antiquity. But there were survivors who preserved at least some of the knowledge of civilization that had been destroyed with the intentions of transmuting it or transmitting it to future generations. So it is not an accident that the first traces of the reemergence of civilization in the form of the earliest known megalithic architecture and the repromulgation of agricultural skills occur at Gobleki, Gobekli Tepe. Gosh, Gobekli Tepe. I cannot pronounce that very well. In Turkey, 11,500 years ago. Again, and for those of you who are not aware with Gobekli Tepe, Gobekli Tepe, this is what it looks like. And so uh, they have found these... Uh, very interesting structures that force this sort of reaccounting based on all. Um, and this is a modern archaeological site now. This is not conspiracy theory. Um, it does, in fact, date to 12,000 years ago. So if we go here to Gobekli Tepe, okay. It is a Neolithic archaeological site in the southeastern Anatolia region of Turkey, dated to pre-pottery Neolithic between 9,500 and 8,000 BCE. The site comprises a number of large circular structures supported by massive stone pillars, the world's oldest known megaliths. Many of these pillars are richly decorated with figurative anthropomorphic details, clothing and reliefs with wild animals providing archaeologists rare insights into prehistoric religion and the particular iconography of the period. The 15-meter or 50-foot-high 
20-acre lot. Tell also includes many smaller rectangular buildings, quarries, and stone-cut uh, cisterns from the Neolithic, as well as many traces of activity from the later period. Uh, the site was first used at the dawn of Southwest Asian Neolithic period, which marked the appearance of the oldest permanent human settlements anywhere in the world. Prehistorians link this Neolithic revolution to the advent of agriculture, but disagree on whether farming caused people to settle down or vice versa. Gobekli Tepe, a monumental complex built on top of a rocky mountaintop with no clear evidence of agricultural cultivation produce a, produced to date, has played a prominent role in this debate. The site's original excavator, German archaeologist Klaus Schmidt, described it as the world's first temple, a sanctuary used by groups of nomadic hunter-gatherers from a wide area with few or no permanent inhabitants. Other archaeologists have challenged this interpretation, arguing that the evidence for a lack of agriculture and a resident population was far from conclusive. Recent research has also led to current exca excavations of Gobekli Tepe to revise or abandon many of the conclusions undermining Schmidt's interpretation. First noted in a survey in 1963, Schmidt recognized the site as, a prehistoric, as prehistoric in 1994 and began excavations there the following year. After his death in 2014, work continued as a joint project of Istanbul University and the German Archaeological Institute under the overall direction of Turkish pre, uh, prehistorian uh, Nekmi Karul. Gobekli Tepe was designated UNESCO World Heritage Site in 2018, recognizing its outstanding universal value as, quote, one of the first manifestations of human-made monumental architecture as of 2021. Less than 5% of the site has been excavated. And so um, if you, again, uh, if you see some of the, the photos and stuff of Gobekli Tepe, now they have been ex excavating more and more and more and more of the site. Um now, some theories I've heard people thought people have argued that they uh, deliberately buried Gobekli Tepe, um, and so you can see how they have these shades over it now. They built shades so they can do more excavation, even if it rains or if the weather's implements. And this is what it looks like underneath those shades. There's some of the work that they're doing. Okay. <clears throat> um, okay. Where were we? Uh, we were here. Uh, Gobekli Tepe, where is that? Okay, Gobekli Tepe in Turkey, 11,500 years ago, a date that coincides exactly with the end of the Younger Dryas and the return to a more congenial global environment. Everything we have been taught about the origins of civilization occurs after 11,500 years ago. And, and this is true. Uh, again, what, that's I'm not trying to make a case, but certainly it seems, according to modern archaeology that when we look at the oldest monuments we can find nothing really predates 11,500 years ago a date that coincides exactly with the end of the younger dries then return to a more congenial global environment everything we have been taught about the origins of civilization occurs after 11,500 years ago in other words after the radical punction a punctuation mark of the younger dryas it is what happened before that we desperately need to recover. These are amongst the mysteries that I'm exploring in Magicians of the Gods, the book that I've been researching for the past three years. Okay, so, okay, so there's that. Um, no, we don't need that. We've kind of already done this. Okay, I want to move through um, interpretations of Atlantis, starting with Jewish and Christian interpretations of Atlantis. Uh, so let's read a little bit about this. Now, 
So you can kind of see then why I laid out from the beginning of, of kind of explaining to you guys the Younger Dryas, some of the scientific approaches to uh, the existence of Atlantis, because that's necessary to really understand the whole context of the people and the proponents who believe that Atlantis is in fact real and that they are in fact finding it in various places. Um, that's this. You, you need to understand this stuff to know what the heck they're talking about. Okay. Uh, Jewish and Christian understandings of Atlantis. During the first early first century, the Hellenistic Jewish philosopher Philo of Alexandria wrote about the destruction of Atlantis in his On the Eternity of the World, and a long longer passage allegedly citing Aristotle's successor Theophrastus. Quote, and the island of the Atlantes, translator spelling the original Atlantis, um, which was greater than Africa and Asia, as Plato says in the Timaeus, in one day and night was overwhelmed beneath the sea in consequence of an extraordinary earthquake and inundation and suddenly disappeared, becoming sea and not indeed navigable, but full of gulfs and eddies. The theologian Joseph Barber Lightfoot noted on this passage, Clement may possibly be referring to some known but hardly accessible land lying with without the pillars of Hercules, but more probably he contemplated some known land in the far west beyond the ocean, like the fabled Atlantis of Plato. Other early Christian writers wrote about Atlantis, although they had mixed views on whether it existed or was an, or was an untrustworthy myth of pagan origin. Tertullian believed Atlantis was once real and wrote that in the Atlantic Ocean once existed the isle that was equal in size to Libya or Asia. Referring to Plato's geographical description of Atlantis, the early Christian apologist, writer uh, Ornobius also believed Atlantis once existed but blamed its destruction on pagans. Cosmos in, in the Cope, I don't know. Cosmos in the 6th century wrote of Atlantis in the Christian topography in an attempt to prove his theory that the world was flat and surrounded by water. In like manner, the philosopher Timaeus also describes the earth as surrounded by the ocean and the ocean as surrounded by the more remote earth. For he supposes that there is to the westward an island, Atlantis, lying out in the ocean in the direction of Gadaria of an enormous magnitude and relates to the ten kings having procured mercenaries from the nations in the island came from the earth far away and conquered Europe and Asia, but were afterwards conquered by the Athenians. While the, that island itself was submerged by God under the sea, both Plato and Aristotle praised the philosopher, and Proclus was written a commentary on him. He himself expresses views similar to our own with some modifications transferring the scene of the events from the east to the west. Moreover, he mentions the, those ten generations as well as that earth which lies beyond the ocean, and in a word it is evident that all of them borrow from Moses and publish his statements as their own. Okay, modern understandings of Atlantis. Aside from Plato's original account, modern interpretations regarding Atlantis are an amalgamation of diverse speculative movements that began in the 16th century when scholars began to identify Atlantis with the New World. Francisco Lopez de, de Gomara uh, was the first to state that Plato was referring to America, as did Francis Bacon and Alexander von Humboldt. Uh, Janus Johannes uh, Bertrand said in 1663... 
the new world is not new. Athanasius Kircher accepted Plato's account as literally true, describing Atlantis as a small continent in the Atlantic Ocean. And this is Athanasius Kircher's map. And this is basically Randall Carlson's uh, belief as well. So Randall Carlson believes that, again, Canada, most, you know, parts of parts of uh, America, but certainly all of Canada, this was all under a mile thick uh, ice uh, glacial sheet of ice and that the ocean levels were much shallower and that Atlantis did indeed exist right in this location, which what he believes to be the Azores. Uh, plateau the azores plateau so that's interesting uh so just wanted to show you that contemporary perceptions of atlantis share roots with the mayanism which can be traced to the beginning of the modern age when european imaginations were fueled by their initial encounters with the indigenous peoples of the americas from this era sprang apocalyptic and utopian visions that would inspire many subsequent generations and theorists most of these interpretations are considered pseudo-history, pseudo-science, and pseudo-archaeology as they have presented their works as an academic or scientific, but lack the standards and criteria. The Flemish cartographer and geographer Abraham Ortelius is believed to have been the first person to imagine that the continents were joined before drifting to their present positions. In the, in the 1596 edition, his... Uh, Thesaurus Geographicus, he wrote, unless it be a fable, the island of Gander or Gandes will be the remaining part of the island of Atlantis or America, which was not sunk, as Plato reports in the Timaeus, so much as torn away from Europe and Africa by earthquakes and flood. The traces of the ruptures are shown by the projections of Europe and Africa and the indentations of America in the parts of the coast of these three set lands that face each other to other to any anyone who, using a map of the world, carefully consider them, so that anyone may say that Strabo in Book Two that what Plato says of the island of Atlantis on the authority of Solon is not a figment. Okay, early influential literature. The term utopia, as I mentioned earlier, was considered by Sir Thomas More in his 16th century work fiction Utopia, considered by Plato's Atlant he considered by Plato's Atlantis and Traveler's accounts of the Americas, More described an imaginary land set in the New World. His idealistic vision established a connection between the Americas and the utopian societies, a theme that Bacon discussed in the New Atlantis. A character in the narrative gives a history of Atlantis that is similar to Plato's and places Atlantis in America. People had begun believing that the Mayan and Aztec ruins could possibly be the remnants of Atlantis. Impact of Mayanism. Much speculation began as the origins of the Maya, which led to a variety of narr narratives and publications that tried to rationalize the discoveries and the context of the Bible that had undertones of racism in their connections between the old and new world. The Europeans believed the indigenous people to be inferior and incapable of building that which was now the ruins, and by sharing a common history, they insinuate that another race must have been responsible. In the middle of the 19th century, several renowned Mesoamerican scholars, uh, starting with Charles uh, Etienne Brasser de Bourbourg, um, and including Edward Herbert Thompson and Augustus Lee uh, Plogion, formally proposed that Atlantis was somehow related to Mayan and Aztec culture. The French scholar 
uh, Brasseur, uh, traveled extensively through Mesoamerica in the mid-1800s and was renowned for his translations of Mayan texts, most notably the sacred book of the Popol Vuh, as well as a comprehensive history of the region. Soon after these publications, however, uh, Brasseur lost his academic credibility due to his claim that the Mayan peoples had descended from the Toltecs, people he believed were the surviving population of the racially superior civilization of Atlantis. His work combined with the skillful romantic illustrations of John Frederick Waldeck, which visually alluded to Egypt and other aspects of the old world, created an authoritative fantasy that excited much interest in the connections between worlds. Inspired by Brasseur's diffusion theories, the pseudographical, uh, the pseudo-archaeologist Augustus Lee uh, Plongion traveled to Mesoamerica and performed some of the first excavations of many famous Mayan ruins. Lepogion invented narratives such as the Kingdom of Mu saga, which romantically drew connections to him, his wife Alice, and Egyptian deities Osiris and Isis, as well as Heinrich Schleiermann, who had just discovered the ancient city of Troy from Homer's epic poetry. He also believed that he had found connections between uh, Greek and Mayan languages, which produced a narrative of destruction of Atlantis. Okay. Now, remember, we have Ignatius Donnelly, uh, the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, the politician from Minnesota. In 1882, publication of Atlantis, the Interdiluvian World by Ignatius Donnelly stimulated much popular interest in Atlantis. He was greatly inspired by works of the Mayanism and, like them, attempted to establish that all known ancient civilizations were descended from Atlantis, which he saw as technically sophisticated, more advanced culture. Donnelly drew parallels between creation stories of the old and new worlds, attributing the connections to Atlantis, where he believed the biblical Garden of Eden existed, as implied by the title of his book. He also believed that Atlantis was destroyed by the great flood mentioned in the Bible. Donnelly is credited with the father of the 19th century Atlantis revival and is the reason why the myth endures today. He unintentionally promoted an alternative method to inquiry to history and science and the idea that myths contain hidden information that opens them to ingenious interpretation by people who believe they are new and special insight. Now, this is interesting. Here's Helena Blavatsky. So Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, the founder of Theosophist, founder of the Theosophist, took up Donnelly's interpretations. She wrote The Secret Doctrine in 1888, which she claimed was originally dictated in Atlantis. She maintained that the Atlanteans were cultural heroes, contrary to Plato, who describes them mainly as military threat. She believed in a form of racial evolution. In her processes of evolution, the Atlanteans were the fourth root race, which were succeeded by the fifth, the Aryan race, which she identified with the modern human race. In her book, Lavatsky reported that the civilization of Atlantis reached its peak between uh, 1 million and 900,000 years ago, but destroyed itself through internal warfare brought about by the dangerous use of psychic and supernatural powers of the inhabitants. Rudolf Steiner, the founder of Anthroposophy, and Waldorf schools, along with other well-known theosophists such as Annie Besant, uh, also wrote of cultural evolution in much of the same vein. Other occultists followed in the same lead, at least um, to the point of tracing a lineage of occult practices back to Atlantis. Among the most famous is Dion 
Fortune and and her esoteric orders of their work. Drawing on these ideas, Rudolf Steiner and Hannes uh, Horbiger, Egon Friedel started this book. Any, okay, okay, moving on. Nazism and occultism. This is pretty interesting. Blavatsky was also inspired by the work of the 18th century astronomer John Sylvian Bailey, uh, or or Bailey, who had orientalized the Atlantis myth. Um, in his mythical content of the Hyperborea, a reference to the Greek myths featuring northern European region at the same time, home to a giant godlike race. Don Edelstein claims that her reshaping of the theory and the secret doctrine provided the Nazis with a mythological precedent and a pretext for their ideological platform in their subsequent genocide. However, Blavatsky's writings mention that the Atlanteans were in fact olive-skinned peoples with mongoloid traits who were the ancestors of modern Native Americans, Mongolians, and Malayans. The idea that the Atlanteans were Hyperborean Nordic supermen who originated in the northern Atlantic or even in the far north was popular in the German uh, Arisophic movement around 1900, propagated by Guido von Liszt and others. It gave them the name um, Thule Geschelschott, an anti-Semite Munich Lodge, which preceded the German Nazi party. The scholars Karl George... Uh, whatever, I can't pronounce that, and Herman Wirth were the first to speak of the Nordic, Nordic Atlantean and Aryan Nordic master race that spread from Atlantis over the Northern Hemisphere and beyond. The Hyperboreans were contrasted with the Jewish people. Party ideologist Alfred Rosenberg, the myth of the 20th century, and SS leader Heinrich Himmler made it part of the official doctrine. The idea was followed by the ad, the adherents of esoteric Nazism, such as Julius Evola and, more recently, Miguel Serrano. The idea of Atlantis as the homeland of the Caucasian race would contradict the beliefs of older esoteric and theosophic groups, which thought that the Atlanteans were non-Caucasian, brown-skinned peoples. Modern esoteric groups, including the Theosophic Society, do not consider Atlantean society to have been superior or utopian. They rather consider it a lower stage of evolution. Edgar Cayce. The clairvoyant Edgar Cayce frequently, uh, spoke frequently of Atlantis during his life readings. He claimed that many of his subjects were reincarnations of people who had lived there. By tapping into their collective consciousness, the quote, Akashic Records, uh, Casey declared that he was able to give detailed descriptions of the lost continent. He also asserted that Atlantis would rise again in the 1960s, sparking much popularity of the myth in that decade, and that there is a hall of records beneath the Egyptian Sphinx which holds the historical text of Atlantis. Recent times. And then we'll stop. Recent times, the continental drift became widely accepted during the 1960s and the increased understanding of plate tectonics demonstrated the impossibility of a lost continent in the geographically recent past. Most, quote, lost continent theories of Atlantis began to wane in popularity. But as I, as, as I did say, we do know now, I mean, it's general, general geo, uh, geology that the ocean levels have risen and that, you know, the... The shoreline that we currently know around the world is not the same as it was, again, 12,000 years ago. Plato scholar, scholar Julia Anas 
and Regents Professor of Philosophy at the University of Arizona had this to say on the matter. The contributing industry, the continuing industry of discovering Atlantis illustrates the dangers of reading Plato, for he is clearly using what became a standard device of fiction, stressing the historicity of an event and the discovery of hereto unknown authorities as an indication that what follows is fiction. The idea is that we should use the story to examine our ideas of government and power. We have missed the point if instead of thinking about these issues, we go off exploring the seabed. The continuing misunderstanding of Plato as historian here enables us to see why his distrust of imaginative writing is sometimes justified. One of... Uh, one of the proposed explanations for the historical context of the Atlantis story is that it serves as Plato's warning to his fellow citizens against that against their striving for naval power. Kenneth Fetter points out that in the uh, Critias <coughs> story in the Timaeus provides a major clue. In the dialogue, Critias says, referring to Socrates' hypothetical society, and when you were speaking yesterday about your city and citizens, the tale which I have been repeating to you came into mind. And I remarked with astonishment how, by some mysterious coincidence, you agreed in almost every particular with the narrative of Solon. Fetter quotes A.E. Taylor, who wrote, We could not be told much more plainly that the whole narrative of Solon's conversation with the priest and his intention of writing the poem about Atlantis was an invention of Plato's fantasy. Okay, and so we're just going to move through some of the rest of these things I wanted to show you. I've already talked to you about the Younger Dryas. This is a uh, bathymetric map. And again, so this bathymetric map, you can see the uh, Mid-Atlantic Ridge. And just to give, you know, just to, I'm not making a case here or arguing for anything in particular, but, you know, Randall Carlson has showed that there has been explorations of the, um, Azores Plateau, and when they took uh, soil samples deep, you know, I think I forget how deep they they dug down into the, the ground. When they pulled it up, it did demonstrate that uh, that land, that ground, which is now at the bottom of the seafloor, was much closer, you know, either above water or certainly right near the surface of the water due to the uh, fossils that they found and some of the animal records and just due to, you know, studying of the sediments there within. So it's certainly possible. Um, geomagnetic reversal. Uh, this has also been a theory um, regarding um, maybe a, a possible explanation for some of these major uh, movements and flood narratives. Um, again, I'm not going to dive too much into that, but certainly uh, potentially something you can look into. Here's the Azores Plateau. Again, another bathymetric image of the Azores Plateau, um, which, again, this is where Randall Carlson believes to have been uh, the, the historical Atlantis. Uh, Meltwater Pulse 1B is the name used by cautionary geologists and oceanographers for a period of either rapid or just accelerated post-glacial sea level rise that some hypothesize to have occurred about 11,500 years and 11,200 calendar years ago at the beginning of the Holocene and after the end of the Younger Dryas. Meltwater Pulse 1B is also known as a catastrophic rise event 2 in the Caribbean Sea. And so I just bring this up to demonstrate um, that um, 
that there, you know, there's the idea that the sea levels have risen, um, that the glacials melted and this totally altered again, what we would consider the, the, uh, the sea line around various continents uh, has indeed changed. This is, uh, you know, Meltwater Pulse 1B would be an example of that. The Genesis flood narrative. Um, my only point in bringing this up is that I think um, potentially, depending on how you approach this, you know, maybe some of this uh, younger Dryas, some of this understanding, even the work of Randall Carlson and these these great cataclysms, um, may provide an explanation of that the Genesis flood narrative is in fact a historical event um, that many cultures try to describe. Um, I, you know, I'll leave that to you guys. Uh, location hypothesis of Atlantis, as you can see, there are theories all over the place. Basically, anywhere you can think. Here's just some regions around the Mediterranean that have been theorized. Um, so uh, all over have people have theorized Atlantis. Um, so, and then, so here, here's probably the global events, Antarctica, you have the Southeast Asia, you have Sri Lanka that was believed to be potentially Atlantis. Uh, you have this red dot over in Sahara, again, pointing at the Rishat structure. Uh, the Caribbean, Edgar Casey kind of talked about that. And then you have one out by the Azores Plateau, England, up by England, all, all types of stuff. So we're not going to go, we're not going to cover much of that. If that's something you want to look into, you can do that on your own. Again, here's the Rishat structure, uh, which I think is certainly interesting. Whether it's the whether it's the historical Atlantis or not, it's certainly something to at least know about. It's certainly geographically worth knowing about. It's very interesting, and the fact that there's uh, you know salt deposits and all that type of stuff, very very interesting. So that's the Rishat structure. Uh, what is this? Oh, Pompeius Mela. Yeah, the Pompeius Mela map which again describes um, Atlantis in Africa. That's what we were showing right at the bottom right corner. We see Africa, right? And we see Atlante next to Mori, Mauritania. Next one, uh, Imikusi, again, the highest volcano in the Sahara, which has uh, evidence of ocean water, salt inside the top of the volcano, which only would mean that water at one point went all the way above 11,000 feet, potentially. So very interesting stuff. Mauritania. Mauritania. How many of you even heard of Mauritania? Mauritania is the Latin name for a region in the ancient Maghreb. It stretched from the central present-day Algeria westward to the Atlantic, covering the northern present-day Morocco and southward to the Atlas Mountains. Its native inhabitants, semi-nomadic pastoralists of Berber ancestry, were known to the Romans as the Mori. Which, again, if you look at Pompeia, um, if you look at uh, Pomponius Mela's map, the Mori are right next to Atlantis. So I don't know. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. I, I'm not here to make a claim, just to present information. Um, here's another. Again, here's uh, people who believe that the Azores Plateau, this is basically how they view uh, what what it looked like as something uh, like this nature. You come right out of the Pillars of Hercules, which is the Rock of Gibraltar. You come through Gibraltar, and there was Atlantis. That was That is the belief of people like Randall Carlson. 
Uh, here is current day Mauritania. I did not know much about this country. It's certainly interesting. Uh, I just just in the fact that I didn't know much about it, so I was looking into it. I mean, out of all the countries in in Africa, I would have to say Mauritania is probably the one I know about the least. Um, and so that was interesting to sort of dive a little bit into that country there again. We can look at the Sahara Desert. Um, that volcano, by the way, Emi Kusi is in Chad, Chad right here in the center. And then, um, as we move into here, we can see the Rishad structure. Okay. Next one. The ancient Saharan seaway shows how earth climate and creatures can undergo extreme change. Now I do want to show you what that looked like. Um, here you go. So this is this the the Trans-Saharan Seaway. You can see that through Algeria, current day uh, the Sahara. That there is evidence that again, um, you could basically sail from northern Africa all the way to Nigeria because there was act, active waterways there. This is uh, the Trans-Sahara Seaway. Now the date right now they claim fifty six sixty six million years ago. I, I question whether the earth is that old. Again, I'm a theist and I believe in creationism. So I don't really argue for how old the earth is, but I do believe God created it. And since God created the earl, the world, uh, the universe, everything that's in it, he could have already created it at an advanced, like uh, a matured state. So I believe God, if he could create anything, he could actually create a universe that was already 13.8 billion years old or perceived that way through our means of analysis. Not that it really is 13.8 billion. It could be, it could be 14,000. I don't know. I'm not making a claim on the age of the earth here. I don't do that. That's not my game. I have no idea. I'm not trying. I don't have a cat in that fight, but, um, but it's certainly interesting nonetheless. And I just wanted to throw that out there. So that is the uh, ancient Saharan Seaway shows how Earth's climate and creatures can undergo extreme change. Again, the dates and how far back that was do, in fact, change. Zealandia. The reason why I bring Zealandia is it's an antipod of the Rishad structure. So what, what, is, what does an antipod mean? An antipod just means the opposite place on the globe. Now, again, I know some people may believe in a flat earth, so you're, you're going to be then a little take umbrage at the concept of an antipod. Let me, let me show you. Antipode. Antipodes. So an antipode is of any spot on the earth is the point of the earth's surface diametrically opposite to it. A pair of points antipodal to each other are situated that such a straight line connecting the two would pass through Earth's center. Antipodal points are as far away from each other as possible. The Earth and South, the North and South Poles are antipodes to each other. And so the antipode to the, uh, to the uh, Rishat structure is a structure that was developed or that was uh, found in in 2017, known as Zealandia, um, it is an almost entirely submerged mass of continental crust that subsided after breaking from the Gondwanaland. Uh, according to this, 8379 million years ago, it has been described variously as a submerged continent, continental fragment, and microcontinent. The name and concept for Zealandia was produced by Bruce. Uh, 
Lukendike in 1995. And again, this was, I believe, discovered in, uh, well, w- within the 21st century, in my, in my belief. Anyways, moving on. Uh, we already talked about Donnelly's book, uh, The African Humid per- Period. This is, again, when um, the Sahara was much uh, greener than it is now. The African Humid Period is a climate period in which Africa during the late uh, Pleistocene and the Holocene geological epochs and when Africa was wetter than today. The covering of much of the Sahara Desert by grasses, trees, and lakes was caused by changes in Earth's orbit around the sun, changes in vegetation and dust in the Sahara was strengthened, the African monsoon, and increased greenhouse gases. Uh, the Tamarin Reset River uh, is an enormous paleo river believed to have flowed through West Africa as re- recently as 5,000 years ago during the African humid period. The uh, Tamarin Reset P- River Basin is thought to have been comparable to the present-day Ganges River Basin in Asia. And so you can see, uh, they believe it goes all the way from, uh, you know, over from basically the Arabian, uh, you know, from from Saudi Arabia all the way across through West West Africa, Sengal. Remember, and this goes right through. This river would go right through the Rishad structure. Um, you know, if we look here, and then we look here. So. Um, again, that was when the Sahara was greener video, uh, old earth creationism. I, I, I don't really have a, an opinion on the date of the earth. I don't, I don't, I have no opinion. I would have to do more research. Uh, Graham Hancock, uh, the Burkle abysmal impact crater. Did this produce a global deluge? This is the, um, the Burkle abyss, uh, ab- abyssal, uh, impact crater. This is the one that's believed that potentially caused a tsunami that went across the Northern Sahara. Um, so, uh, here's an article. If you want to read this article here, I'll share it with you guys. Uh, okay. There you go. If you want to check that out, feel free. Uh, okay. And then we have, uh, what is glacial isostatic adjustment? This is what I keep trying to talk about how, um, you know, as the, this is a theory based on the advanced, you know, the, the immense ice that was covering much of the earth. And as these asteroids, meteorites, these cosmic impacts hit the planet, destroyed these, uh, the, the, you know, the, the ice caps falling into the ocean, melting, raising the sea level, potentially submerging many known land masses earth as always on the move constantly of slowly changing temperatures rise and fall in cycles over millions of years the last ice age occurred just 6000 years ago or 16000 years ago when great sheets of ice 2 miles thick covered much of earth's northern hemisphere though the ice melted long ago the land once under and around the ice is still rising and falling in reaction to the ice age burden um, evidence of Noah's biblical flood happened, says Robert Ballard. 
Uh, Dr. Robert Ballard, an acclaimed underwater archaeologist, explains the evidence. Um, now Ballard is using even more advanced robotic technology to travel further back in time. He is on a marine archaeological mission that might support the story of Noah. He said some 12,000 years ago, much of the world was covered in ice. Where I live in Connecticut was a ice a mile above my house, all the way back to the North Pole, about 15 million kilometers. That's a big ice cube, he said. But then it started to melt. We're talking about the floods of our living history. The water from the melting glaciers began to rush toward the world's uh, uh, rush to toward the world's oceans. Ballard said, causing floods all around the world. The question is, was there a mother of all floods? Ballard said, according to a controversial theory proposed by two Columbia University scientists, there really was one in the Black Sea region. They believe that the now salty Black Sea was once an isolated freshwater lake surrounded by farmland until it was flooded by an enormous wall of water from the rising Mediterranean Sea. The force of the water was 200 times that of Niagara Falls, sweeping away everything in its path. Fascinated by the idea, Ballard and his team decided to investigate. We went in there and to look for the flood, he said. Now just a slow-moving, advancing rise of sea level, but a really big flood that then stayed the land that went, un- that went under stayed under. 400 feet below the surface, they unearthed an ancient shoreline, proof uh, for, to Ballard that a, catat- a ca- <laughs> catastrophic event did happen in the Black Sea. By carbon dating shells found along the shoreline, Ballard said he believes he established a timeline for that catastrophic event, which he estimates happened around 5000 BC. Some experts believe this was around the time when Noah's flood w- could have occurred. It probably was a bad day, Ballard said. At some uh, magic moment, it broke through the flood and flooded this place violently and a lot of real estate. 150,000 square kilometers of land went under. The theory goes on to suggest that the story of this traumatic event seared into the collective memory of the survivors was passed down from generation to generation eventually spired in the biblical account of Noah. In the early chapters of Genesis, people live 800, 700, 900 years, said Rabbi Bert. Vistovsky, a professor of Talmud and rabbinics at the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York. Those are mythic numbers. Those are way too big. We don't quite know what to do with that. So sometimes those large numbers, I think, also serve to reinforce the mystery of the text. Anyways, if you guys want to read more of this article, I'll share it with you here. Um, Here you go. Um, a satellite found remnants of a lost continents under Antarctica, uh, not Atlantis. So I, I only got this just to say, uh, whoever believes Atlantis was South, the South pole or Antarctica, uh, unlikely. Then we have, uh, again on the Gaia TV, they said the Anunnaki ruled Atlantis. Uh, you know, the, uh, the deities of the Sumerians, the Akkadians and the Assyrians and Babylonians who, uh, used men to mine gold and rare minerals for their faraway planet. And then we have the Nephilim. Again, this is obviously debated, um, in, in biblical understanding. And I really don't know what the Orthodox hermeneutic and interpretation of the Nephilim is. That might be a stream in and of itself for me to dive into. Uh, then you have the Karahan Tepe. This is sort of the sister location to uh, Gobekli Tepe. The site is close to Gobekli Tepe, and archaeologists have also uncovered a T-shaped uh, 
Stile there, according to Daily Saba. The excavations have uncovered 250 obelisks featuring animal figures as of 2020. The site is located near Yagmerlu and roughly 46 kilometers east of Gobekli Tepe, which is often called its sister site. It is part of the Gobekli Tepe culture and the Karahan Tepe Excavations Project. The area is known as, I don't know, by local people. It is part of a region similar to sites now being uncovered. Okay. And then this was the the Mauritania slide complex. This is out in the ocean showing a bunch of uh, land sediments. That is actually wider than the peninsula of Florida. So what you're looking through right here, this dark, this dark image right here, okay, uh, this is in fact the, the sediment. So you see Mauritania, you see Singal to the right, and then you see this uh, sort of large gray uh, structure. This is the land sediment that is found in the ocean. And mind you, again, the width of this is actually wider than the widest part of the peninsula of Florida. So pretty interesting stuff there. And then all this stuff, Mansa Musa, Atlas Mountain Range, Gobekli Tepe, Antipodes. That basically does it, guys. Um, I hope you found this stream interesting. Again, I need to give a major, major shout-out to the Meta Ninjas. God bless you, brother. Meta Ninjas, thank you so much, man, for sponsoring these streams that you have sponsored. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your words of encouragement. I know we've gone back privately. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Meta Ninjas, for all your support and and everything you've done. And and again, all the kind words you've shared with me. So major shout-out to Meta Ninjas for sponsoring tonight's stream. Um, I hope it was useful. I hope that if you watch this, um, it kind of brought you up to date on many arguments and discussions around the lost city of Atlantis. Is it myth or is it real? I'm not sure. Um, if I had to guess, I would probably say it. You know, it's between the Rishat structure and the uh, Azores Plateau. I don't know. I don't know. I think even looking into all the Rishat structure stuff was still interesting because I wasn't that familiar with it. So it was certainly worth doing the research. It was certainly worth be, uh, familiarizing myself with everything. Um, but um, but I, uh, I really don't have a conclusive argument. Um, again, as a Christian, what I thought was interesting is the narrative of God's mating with uh, mortal women. And so even with Poseidon, and the sort of construction of Atlantis and all this different stuff. We see this in the in, in Genesis with, again, what's often referred to as the Nephilim. And um, the idea that these, that these fallen angels mated with women, mortal women, and created these giants. Um, I don't know. Does this have something to do with why God wanted to flood the earth and want to restart civilization in ways? I mean... Are we? And I thought, you know, and the fact that Atlantis is this idea of utopia, I was thinking, it, is that what we're moving to towards the end times? Is like, is the flood a sort of um, mirroring of the Book of Revelation itself as we move towards the fullness of the Antichrist? Is 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 this the fullness of these fallen angels? You know, these Nephilim. I don't know. I sat and thought about it. I mean, do I believe God can send asteroids and meteorites and hit ice walls and and melt water and change the geography of Earth? Yeah, of course I can. I also believe that God can create a planet that is already aged to a maturated state. So 
I don't know how to interpret the date of the earth and all these different ge geographical and uh, archaeological dating. Um, I definitely don't believe in macroevolution. I think that's basically a debunked theory. So creationism, yes. You know, macroevolution, no. Therefore, no theistic evolution. I don't believe in theistic evolution. Um, I don't know. I don't know really have a definitive claim. That's why I just, again, wanted to present you guys with information and, and kind of let you make up your own mind. I do think it's interesting that Atlantis is used as a sort of expectation for, um, you know, this sort of new world utopian that, again, I think the dystopia we're moving into has elements of, you know, maybe Satan is still working with these uh, various bloodlines, these Nephilim, if you will, that are that are trying to manipulate the world. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This is just speculation here, but certainly I believe in a very spiritual reality. I'm not sure how to interpret all this, um, all this different, you know, speculation in regards to these ancient civilizations and whatnot. I'm not sure. I'm really not sure uh, where, where to go with that or how to take it, but um, there has to be a God. There has to be a God that created everything. Therefore, their creationism is has to be my beginning point from there. Um, and then I'm, I really don't know how to deal with any of the dating stuff personally. This is something I'd have to dive into and think more about. So, uh, so anyways, um, that's going to conclude tonight's stream. Um, I really appreciate everybody being here. Please hit that like. And now I'm going to dive into some of the super chats. If you guys could please... Um, support the stream by sending in super chats uh, using the Streamlabs link would be most preferable. Or if you would like to use YouTube, that is fine as well. Um, so first super chat, let's dive into those. First super chat comes from George. Oh my gosh, my good buddy, my Greek friend, George of Northern of the Border. George, how are you, man? I hope you and your family are doing well. He throws in $5 Canadian. God bless you, brother. Uh, I can't wait to uh, chat and catch up soon. I saw that you signed up for some one-on-ones. I cannot wait, George. I, we were, I was just thinking of you the other day. Like, man, I haven't talked to him in forever. I was curious what you're up to, how the family is. Thank you so much, brother. You throw in a $5 super chat, no comment. God bless you and hope the family's doing well. Uh, next super chat comes from Candace Spence, another good friend north of the border. She says, interesting stream topic. Glad I could catch it. I believe we have been kept in the dark about a lot regarding history where things slash events are not always what they seem. So it's imperative to always question. God bless you, DPH. Keep hustling. Well, thank you so much, Candace, and God bless you. I hope school's going well. Hope you're enjoying, still enjoying your new location. Um, thank you so much for the support. And yeah, I do believe there's a lot of history that we, again, we just don't know. Um, many speculations regarding these ancient technologies, for example, you know, just looking at aspects of the Egyptian pyramids, aspects of some of the granite obelisks there in Egypt, uh, pretty wild. How do these ancients, uh, you know, carve how how did they uh get these granite structures and and move them as far as they did from different quarries i don't know 
I don't know. Did it have to be with some secret spiritual technology of the Nephilim, you know, that, again, the the New Age sees as these spacefaring creatures that they want to venerate and become? I I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I think there is absolutely a ton about history that we don't know, so it's always good to question and dive deeper if you can. So thank you so much, Candace Owens. God bless you. Truly appreciate the $20 Super Chat. I wish you nothing but the best. And would love to catch up with you. Uh, God bless you and your school semester. Next uh, next Super Chat comes from Pim Orsos. Shout out to Pim, one of our great brothers here in the community. Always doing his own research, by the way. Pim is a great researcher himself. He throws in $10 and says, My theory is Hyperboreans are P-I-E migrants. Hmm. Interesting. My theory is that the Hyperboreans are... P.I.E. Migrants. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, thank you so much, Pim Orsos, for the $10 Super Chat. Really appreciate all your support, brother. Thank you for everything you've done. Pim's sponsored streams before, and um, he's always been a very big supporter of my work. And I just want to say again, thank you so much, Pim, for everything you do for me. Uh, Next one comes from The Genghis Khan. Throws in $19.99. And uh, no comment. Shout out to Genghis Khan. Thank you so much. This is another brother who's has continued to support my work and support our stream. So thank you so much, um, um, Genghis Khan, for the 1999 Super Chat. No comment. I hope you are doing well. Wish you nothing but the best, you and your family. God bless you. And then the next Super Chat, another one from Pim Orsos, throws in $20. Shout out to Pim. Man, throws in another one. He says, in the Greek legend of the Gigan Tamaki, Hercules helped defeat the giants. The Dorianic Greeks say they're descendants of Hercules, and they inhabited Mediterranean islands, i.e. Crete and Santorini erupted 1600 B.C., i.e. Bronze Age. Um, so... Hmm. Yeah. You know, how do, how do we understand some of the, you know, these various biblical and, and really mythological narratives across traditions of these gods or angels or uh, deity-like figures mating with human women, creating these hybrid entities uh, that are giants? I don't know. You know, I know that uh, the Spartans, they claim to be descendants of Hercules as well. And so uh, it's not uncommon in Greek history, but uh, thank you. uh, Thank you so much. Uh, And then the last super chat comes from uh, Amptown One. And she says, great stream, question mark. I don't know. Was it a great stream? I hope it was. Uh, I hope it was insightful. I hope we learned a lot, and I hope it was useful for many people. Um, So... Looks like that's going to conclude the Super Chats. Let me go check uh, Rockfin. And um, um, so uh, looks like nobody said anything on Rockfin. Uh, but I do, you know, I did mention on last time I missed a Super Chat on Rockfin. So I told him I would give him a special shout out. So let me do that now. I want to give a special shout out to Corbin uh tolan who threw in two dollars on the last super chat and said great stream thank you so much for another great informative topic marshall McLuhan had great insight from that far back and he certainly did and i want to thank again corbin tolan for helping me out over on rockfin 
And guys, I think that's going to conclude tonight's stream. Please smash that like for everybody that is still here. I hope um, everybody enjoyed it. Again, it was kind of a dense topic. I didn't exactly know how to present all this information to you guys, but I hope that it was useful and you guys had as much fun as I had uh, learning about it. This was a topic that I really didn't, you know, didn't know a ton about. Um, so um, it was fun. It was fun researching. I'll be back. Um, hopefully Sunday with another sponsored stream, we'll be diving into Alan Moore and, um, uh, we'll be diving into Alan Moore and some of his comics. Oh, Amtown one throws in and $1 super chat. She said that was supposed to be a smiley face. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. Well, it was a, it was great stream question mark. So I was like, I, I don't know. I guess the great stream that's for you to, you to make a comment on. Um, so that makes sense. It was a great stream, smiley face. Well, thank you so much, Amptown One. I truly do appreciate your support. And I hope you come to church again this Sunday. I'd love to see you again and talk and chit-chat after liturgy if you're free. Um, so uh, uh, thank you again, Amptown One. I truly do appreciate your support. And again, I genuinely hope that you do come back to our parish and we're able to chat a little bit more uh, this coming um, this coming uh, Sunday. So anyways, guys, I am going to hop off here again. Thank you all for the support. Please smash that like. I will try to be back Sunday with another stream. It may be Monday, depending on how much research I have to do for the next sponsored stream. But again, I just want to thank you all so much for the support. God bless you all. And until next time, as always. <laughs>